thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. Boy, today is going to be a rip snorter, but you're going to have to pay attention. This is so fundamentally important. It relates to legislation that's pending before the General Assembly, but it is going to tie in much of the podcast that we've had recently with Dr. Sandlin, with Dr. George Grant, and last week with Jeff Schaefer. Now, before I get into the meat of the episode, if you're interested in hearing more from Dr. Grant and, and Jeff Schaefer, let me encourage you now, go to our, our webpage, FACTennessee.org, look for the tab marked events, hit the drop down menu, and make your reservation now for Restoring the Vision on May 15th here in Nashville. Dr. Grant and Jeff Schaefer will be two of the three speakers for that worldview seminar. I, I assure you it will be unlike any you have probably ever attended. I know it's it's unlike any I've ever attended. And I'm going to pull up the rear uh, of that conference, but, but, but be sure and come and at least hear those two guys, even if you want to leave when you get to my part at the end of the day. But, but what these men are going to share is so profound, and it all ties in to legislation that was in front of the General Assembly this week. Now, I mentioned last week House Bill 1079. It's the bill that essentially would have the legislature say to the Supreme Court, we believe that there are creational realities to marriage and to parentage that the Supreme Court cannot abolish and which it purported to abolish in its 1976 decision, Planned Parenthood, versus Danforth. It was in that case that the Supreme Court divorced, effectively, a husband from his wife and separated the husband and father of their child from his child to say that the woman had an unfettered right to abort that child without the consent of her husband. And House Bill 1079 would have said, that's just not true. There are realities here, rights and duties, privileges and responsibilities that have been in essence assigned by or given uh, to those relationships by the God who created all things and you cannot ignore them. Okay, that's what that bill was. Now, unfortunately, one of the Republicans we needed to vote for that bill uh, was uh, sick at home. He's been undergoing chemotherapy, hadn't been in the legislature for this last several weeks and so we were down to four Republicans and two Democrats on that committee. We needed to get, unfortunately, uh, four of those six votes. A 3-3 vote would have been a tie and the bill would have failed. And one of the Republicans, John Gillespie from Shelby County, said he was going to vote no on the bill. He, he could have done what they call take a walk and not been present, so the bill would have passed 3-2. to two. But his heart was so set on making sure that this pro-life, pro-marriage bill didn't advance that he was going to vote no. Now there's another bill that's pending in front of the General Assembly. Last week they added amendments to it and so it'll be up actually this coming week. It's Senate Bill 425, House Bill 1379. It's sponsored by two Republicans and get this, co-sponsored 
by at least 25 more Republicans. Now here's what that bill does, and then we're going to get into the worldview part of this. But you will be astounded to believe that these are Republicans and Christians supporting this bill. Of course, there are some Democrats who are supporting the bill too, but, and, and, I, and I don't mean to imply anything partisan about that, but it, this, this bill is so wrong on so many fundamental levels, it's even hard to believe the Republicans would, would, would support it at all. But here's what the bill does. It mandates that private insurance companies cover infertility treatments so that any enrollee in the insurance plan can have a baby with an individual covered under the enrollee's plan of health insurance. Now, why did I specify those words so carefully? It's because of this. Listen, the bill requires procedures to bring about a child even if the two individuals are not married and even if they are of the same sex. That's what your Republicans are doing. now. That, trust they've read the bill. I, I tried to send texts to several of them. I sent emails to several of them. And, and I'm, I'm you know, kind of getting no response. But here's the, the reality. When you talk about enrollees and you talk about individuals covered under the enrollees plan, there's nothing sex-wise, sex-based, male and female, about that. There's nothing married about that. And in fact, the whole concept is you can't reproduce naturally. So therefore, with that in the bill, it covers same-sex couples. And of course, the, by this being a government mandate, the cost of that infertility treatment for two homosexuals or for unmarried um, couples who just want to have a child, uh, you and I are going to pay for that with increased premiums. You know, and that's just enough to make you sick right there. But anyway, we have to, we have to understand what's really, really at, at play here is that this is not just about the state fostering the creation of children or even the creation of children outside the context of a married mom and dad. It is the rejection of God's jurisdictional authority over his creation to assign to it meaning and purpose and to define the roles and the purposes of the things that he's created and give to them in the context particularly of marriage duties and responsibilities. That's a mouthful, but in sum, this bill is premised on the idea that there is no God who gives any of these things regarding motherhood and fatherhood and family and children meaning. It is all created by the individuals themselves and the government is here to ensure it and foster it. Now you say, where would this idea have come from in our culture? Well, actually, it goes back to Genesis chapter 3, doesn't it? We want to create our own reality. We don't want to acknowledge the reality that's, that's been given to us by God. We want to, to figure out good and evil for ourselves, make our own universe, because we ultimately don't believe really God is good. And isn't that the temptation of Satan? You mean God put you in this beautiful garden and says you can't even eat of this stuff? Oh, wow. What kind of God is that, right? 
Yeah, what he really doesn't want you to know is the difference between good and evil. He didn't want you to become like him. So we doubted the goodness of God, and then we doubted the Word of God. And we've been doing it ever since. We want to reject and cast off the creational order that God has given and imposed. Well, where did this begin to really work its way out in the law? Well, it's been fought over in the Supreme Court for, for years, but it really began to take off after Darwin and Darwin's evolutionary view of, of science, let's say, of organic matter, filtered into uh, law. It began in Harvard in the late 1800s. It, it began to be adopted by the United States Supreme Court uh, specifically in 1938 in a decision which I'll not get into, but uh, you'll hear me refer to it perhaps in the future, Erie Railroad versus Tompkins. Uh, but really the, the root of the modern problem goes back to Roe versus Wade and in some ways really Eisenstein versus Baird that, that Jeff and I talked about last week. You'll recall that in Eisenstein the court had to deal with um, the issue of marriage that it had said in 1965 was a real thing and so the legislature of Connecticut had violated the zone of privacy that belonged to marriage, the jurisdictional authorities of men and women and their relationship with each other and procreation and their accountability to God by saying you can't get uh, any kind of uh, prophylactics and so the court had, had struck it down but in 1972 it was confronted with the fact that Roe is coming up on the future, the next year, with abortion. We're going to have to decide that case, and we're going to have trouble creating the autonomous, the self-fulfilling, self-defining, self-dignifying woman, able to obtain her own place in society and define her own views of herself if we keep her stuck in marriage. So in 1972, the court said, well, really what we meant in Eisenstein is that marriage is an association of two individuals who remain separate and distinct. And, um, and then, in, of course, in 1973, it moved that to say, yeah, you, you really are autonomous, even to the point of killing your own child. Now, the only way the court could have reached that conclusion, understand this, is if it had denied any kind of belief that we are created beings who reflect the image of God and who are given meaning and purpose by God. And part of our meaning and purpose is that of sexual beings who create children, who live in marriages, who have uh, duties to spouses and duties to children. And they had to reject all of that, you see. And so the court, in essence, in its worldview, said that the real publicly recognizable, acknowledgeable female persona is this desexed person, a non-familial monad, as my friend Jeff Schaefer would call it, whose, whose highest calling really is to participate in the workforce or, or live an unhindered and self-directed existence and, and needs the, the unlimited choices that the state will guarantee to uh, protect her from having to be a wife or having to be a mother with duties to a spouse or duties to her child. And that has, has since worked its way out into the law. And in fact, this is what Jeff Schaefer said about that point. 
and it doesn't stop there. As we know, thereafter, the trajectory of the cases um, ended up making their way into the court manufactured rights to homosexual sodomy and then same-sex couples to access civil marriage licenses. Uh, of course, the Supreme Court just this last year, coming from the pen of Justice Gorsuch, um, you'll recall, manufactured a preposterous redesign of the federal statute, Title VII, that converted that state's prohibition on sex discrimination in employment into a protection for various sexual orientations and transgenderism in employment and so on. Right. So, you know, if you look at this trajectory, we could say it's now constitutional orthodoxy, or perhaps better put, Supreme Court case law orthodoxy, mm-hmm. that the government must establish a social and legal environment in which the sexual adventurism of individuals may not be resisted, only enabled. And there we have it. This worldview that's been in the Supreme Court decisions has now descended into the thinking of our legislature that we are here to assist adults in having whatever it is that they think is necessary to their dignity, to their fulfillment as self-creating, self-defining individuals and to heck with what any God might think is good for your welfare to be married or not to be married, to have children or not to have children. He's not the author of life. We are, and we are here in the government to help make sure you can get what you need to have as an adult what you desire. In essence, they almost are treating children as accoutrements, instrumentalities by which adults can reach their best life now, as some pastors would put it. Uh, and, and you see, here's, here's the problem, and now I'm going to tie this into the previous podcast. If you've not heard the podcast with Dr. Sandlin that was back on uh, February 19th, or the episode with Dr. George Grant on March 26th, let me encourage you to go back and listen to them. But here is the sum of them. If we divorce salvation... The promise of salvation that's found in Genesis 3.15, that I'm going to have a seed that will, that, that will be, uh, his heel will be bruised by Satan, but he will crush the serpent's head. If we divorce that from the creational context of one and two, and we focus only on the salvation of the soul, and we forget God's protology and eschatology, I am in the beginning, not you. Man, woman, I am in the beginning, and here is my eschatology. I want you to join together to procreate in order to fill and subdue the earth that this whole earth might be turned into garden and a temple where I can dwell forever with my people. You see, when the gospel leaves out Genesis 1 and 2, We've left out all of these notions of creational realities, the God-given nature of the reality of things. And, and then we can, we can grow Christians who, who feel like, well, as long as I've, I've made a profession of faith, I've walked down the aisle, I've been baptized, I take communion, I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, my soul is saved, I don't have to worry about whether or not the creation is being conformed to, to God's intention for it. 
because my soul is saved. I got my fire insurance to hell with everything else. And what we don't realize is that that kind of gospel is in fact sending people to hell. That's the kind of gospel, to be honest, mostly I was raised on, that's predominant in our church. Get your soul saved. Don't worry about anything here. We've ripped Genesis 3.15 right out of the context of Genesis 1 and 2. We've ripped out the notion that God's creating a new heaven and a new earth, that he's uniting all things together. Well, no, 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 we're just concerned with your soul. And that's how we wind up with so many Christian Republicans who think we are here to ensure that the government gives you what you need to have a fulfilled life and you really don't need God to have that. You don't really need to find that it is God who knows what is best for my welfare and I will bow my head and my knee before Him and accept what He has given because He made me. He knows the purpose for which He made me and He is good. Why is he good? Because he's wanting to restore the very image of God that was tarnished in the fall. That we might conform to the image of Christ who's the image of God and be made fit and compatible with the holiness of God. So that as, as the Apostle John wrote, we'll be able to see him as he is because we'll be like him. We have reduced the glory of God and the glory of the image of God into small things because our gospel, to be honest, starts with trying to find a solution to man's problems rather than starting with God, who God is, which is why I had Dr. Grant come talk about a doctrine of God, which is why we're going to have Dr. Grant speak at Restoring the Vision. If we don't start with God, we will have, as Dr. Grant said, essentially sanctified humanism, where everything revolves around man. And that's where we are. And that's what our legislature is pursuing. And I have no doubt they are well-intentioned but they're simply living out the emasculated Genesis 3 only Gnostic form of the gospel. We are reaping what we have sown. You know, I, I wrote this in this last week's commentary, and with this I, I will close, that modern evangelicalism is reaping the death that comes to a culture and nation in which the hermeneutic and preaching of so many of its Christian leaders begins not with a solid doctrine of God and the glory of God as the beginning and end of all things, but with a desire to help people find a solution to their problems. That's what the legislature's trying to do. You got a problem? You don't have children? God's not chosen to give you the fruit of the womb? Don't worry. Government's here. We'll help you. We'll even make other people help pay for it. But here is our problem. We have fallen short, all of us, of the glory of God. And only by seeing that glory will we be able to address our other problems. And any other approach to the Word of God, to the Gospel, is just sanctified humanism. Well, thank you for joining me today. We'll look forward to talking with you again next week on God, Law, and Liberty. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.